Yeah, hi, Gregor Townsend here, um, and you're listening to the Scottish Rugby Blog Podcast. Good morning. Right, guys, energy level's up. Well, we've got to get through it. Um, okay, welcome to the Scottish Rugby Blog Podcast. I'm Cammy Black. This is Rory Baldwin. Hello. That is Brodie Smithers. Bonjour. And on his podcast debut, it's our Dutch rugby correspondent and Seb Visa fanatic, Andy McClellan. Goede avond. Uh, Andy, it's your first appearance, so you get to choose what club socks you're wearing if the barbarians come calling. Uh, well, as with John last week, I've got a choice of two. Uh, first would have been Canvas Lang Rugby in the south side of Glasgow, for whom I played a grand total of one match and four training sessions in about 10 years. But uh, I'd have to go with my school socks, really, which would be Hutchie, uh, lovely blue and white uh, white striped numbers that I would go for. Very good. Right, to business. Uh, Scotland beat France in Paris by two tries to one. Uh, but we lost the match on a technicality by failing to score as many points as our opponents. Uh, Rory, you've written up the match report. Uh, Stuart Hogg said after Scotland lost, uh, it was because of too many errors and not looking after the ball. Is is that true, do you think, or was, was there more wrong? I think that's, that's fair enough. I was trying to come up with a, a list of um, five things that didn't badly affect the result and five things that did, and um, I find plenty other than... Um, and errors that were that would have affected the result. Obviously, there was the disallowed try for France that most people seem to think was probably a try. If they if they'd awarded that, then the game would have definitely, you know, been been beyond um, beyond Scotland to to get back the scrum, a, a dominant force for France. I'm on the fence about Finn Russell's conversion. Whether or not that uh, would that affected the game, there's quite a lot of people seem to think that the you know the extra two points would have helped it help the momentum, but you know we didn't lose by two points, so. Um, it may not have been that important. But on the other hand, I guess you look at that kick and if it maybe made Scotland appear a bit nervy, so I suppose it might have given France a psychological edge, Andy? Yeah, I think so. I mean, looking at it, um, yeah, I mean, I think that conversion certainly had a huge part to play. I mean, I'm not entirely sure exactly what happened or what was going through. I believe Hines was given a nod, somebody said, from the from the ref. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was Russell, the type of character that's going to let something like that potentially get into his head and, and, and you know, kind of weigh him down. Um, I, perhaps it knocked the wind out of sails a little bit and swung the momentum toward France. But, you know, as Rory said, I don't really see that being as a as a major factor for the for, for the loss, I have to say. I don't think it was uh, as as a major factor as getting hammered in every scrum. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, Brody on that. Um... I mean, it was a real mess, the scrum. I mean, against Ireland, it seemed to stabilise, but that didn't happen here. Um, but looking at the stats earlier today, I did see that we had 100% success on our own putting, um, which is maybe uh, shows that stats aren't everything. But, uh, I mean, is, is everything lost with the loss of Nell and Dickinson? I mean, is there anything that the coaches can do or should be doing? I don't think all is lost with them, but... You know, despite what the statistics say, the scrum was under pressure, and almost everyone would acknowledge that. Um, early doors, it seemed to me that our kind of um, second row, back row, were getting a good shove on, and actually Dell and um, Vegasum were, were kind of 
going up the way. At one point, I, I was kind of concerned that Fagerson was actually getting lifted off his feet. It just the, the sheer size of that French pack meant that even getting parity would have been a success on Saturday, Sunday even. But, but on the other hand, I was thinking about this, and I don't know if on the other hand that um, scrums these days are supposed to be more of a wrestling match with the new rules rather than um, about sheer weight of pack. So it, is it just that Scotland haven't got the right coaches in place to be teaching Dell and Ferguson how to get the upper hand in situations like that when they're up against guys 20 stone plus? The... French are, are, are famous for their scrummaging. They love it. They bought, actually, I think it was a, a quarter of a million euros scrummaging machine a few years back just to, you know, enable them to, to get even better at it. And, you know, we got pumped. And uh, I think um, better sides than us with um, a better front row will get pumped by that French scrum. I mean, there's a lot of talk been about the feeding and the scrum and, you know, what was kind of going on there. But Really, the referee was look, trying to look at two props, you know, the hookers, all sorts of stuff going on in the front row. Uh, I don't really blame the French scrum half for popping it under the second row's legs. Um, you know, the, the ref certainly had enough on his plate to not notice that. Yeah, so I was just going to say, I mean, I think to kind of follow up on, on what Brody said, you know, I think obviously it's not necessarily all about size and power and, and you still can't really beat good scrummaging technique. But I think when there's that much of a, of a power discrepancy or weight discrepancy I think with the best will in the world then I think sometimes perhaps technique uh, does start to suffer a little bit and I think it's particularly Ferguson that's going to come for him um, but you know well, I read a stat last year but as it said that in, in, the, in the Six Nations last year Scotland had the most penalties from scrums um, to go from from that to you know going backwards at a rate of knots I think is, is a pretty damning uh, insight I have to say. Rory, I mean, do we, how much of that do we put down to the loss of Nell and Dickinson? I think, yeah. I mean, I think the loss of Nell is is probably the the main thing, and Dickinson, I guess, probably gets overshadowed by Nell a bit. He's a very savvy operator around the park, and uh, yeah, I think it's a it's a big miss. And not having Sutherland as well, we're it's almost we're, you know we're focused on the tight head, but actually we're struggling to find a a loose head. Dell does really well in the. Um, you know, in the loose, he, he tackles well and he carries okay. Although he did have a few, um, he had a few knock-ons on Sunday there, um, which maybe blotted the, the copybook a little bit. But um, yeah, we're we're not we're not really sure. There's a lot of people that, that rate Gordy Reid and want him to come in. Um, Brody maybe one of them. No, no. <laughs> um, so uh, yeah, we're I think we're still hunting for for our loose head um, who can who can stand up to these. Um, these opposition tight heads that we keep being told are, are worth their weight in gold. Um, Figerson's, you know, he's he puts in huge hits, he puts in big carries, you know, and he's still young. His time, his time will come. Um, I think it's just a shame that he and Nell might be the uh, might be the two that we've got, and Nell's injured, so there's really just kind of one to choose from. And uh, yeah, we we see what happens when you don't have it. You know, you need to have a complete twenty-three, and that includes a replacement front row as good as or and you know in the French they brought brought their best props off the bench so that you know you need you need the full full team to compete I was wondering about the Ferguson thing because um I think it was John Beattie was on Twitter saying he's young he'll get better but I suppose he's only going to get better if he's got the right coaching in place and I, and I, we've had issues in the scrums before in Scotland so is it the case that we're just not coaching scrummaging properly I don't think it's so much coaching um it's more like 
scrummaging's about it's a bit like getting a new pair of shoes you've just got to break it in and the only way you can really do it is to just do it a lot and we're not exposing our young props to enough rugby at a young enough age for them to become technically good scrummagers there's a lot of gym work goes on there's a lot of conditioning you know and that's great but really the only way to get very good at scrummaging is to scrummage you look at um, WP now he looks like a drunk farmer you know I, I <laughs> saw him in um, what's that place Ben Jerry's Frankie and Benny's whatever it's called the other day he was just destroying a plate of ribs and you know I looked at him and I just thought if that's a professional athlete you know there's still hope for me because he doesn't look like a professional player however his scrummaging technique is excellent and his center of gravity is excellent and that used to be the same with Chunk I mean you know Chunk wasn't exactly a model professional but you know he he did the job yeah I was just trying to think of the last time that Scotland had some parity in the scrum and, and I was sort of thinking back to Chunk and I wonder whether we lose a lot of experience from the likes of him when they leave rugby I mean I think he went back to Watsonians when he retired and might still be playing there should Scotland be doing more to try and keep those kind of guys around to bring the young ones through um yeah I mean I suppose yeah it's a very very technical thing I mean you look at the guys who've retired recently that are still doing ambassador roles like Al Kellick or Chris Patterson um and I mean they're they're technical technical players in in their own areas you know in the line out and the, the goal kicking which is obviously um you would like to think helping kind of mature leadership skills and and goal kickers at in through the age grades as they're both you know doing their ambassador work and a bit of a bit of coaching too I think but yeah um there's not been one of them who's who's been a prop, which maybe maybe does ask the question who's you know who's teaching the the younger generation of, of props. I know we've got some some pretty um, pretty good prospects in the under twenties at the moment who are fairly hefty individuals and and uh, seem to be scrummaging okay. So I think you know they've identified that that prop is a weakness and um, possibly even Scott Johnson doing some good here, um, <laughs> making sure making sure that there are young props coming through the age grades. Is it also the case that we need better-looking props retiring so that we've got uh, nicer faces for ambassadorial roles? Could be, yeah. That, that would that would be a, a good coincidence. Unfortunately, it's, it's not a position that lends itself to, to great beauty. I would I would say though, to be fair, Alan Dell was in pretty good nick for a prop. You have to you have to give him his due on that one. Yeah, he's pretty. He's, he obviously takes care of himself, uh, moisturises and the like. <laughs> Jeff you... Girth Cross is the benchmark for attractive props in Scottish history yeah I mean there's that I think it was the Wales game and I've still got the the gif saved somewhere on my phone of just where he's in a scrum and there's just these bloody snotters streaming down his beard it's absolutely glorious oh beautiful um but we'll, we'll, we'll probably revisit the scrum when we go through the the squad later on but um Andy the Scotland lost two captains in quite quick succession do you think that may be had an impact in the game plan going out the window? Yeah, I mean, I think this is something I noted down as well. You know, losing Laidlaw, I think we'll come on to later on as a player, but we've certainly missed his leadership at, at, at points. Uh, to then lose your vice-captain kind of straight away, I mean, a lot of teams out there uh, are going to struggle with that. Um, but I don't know, and this I found this very surprising, after Laidlaw went off, and this is before the pitch, who the most capped Scottish player or most experienced Scottish player was at that point? Was it Richie? If anybody Gray? wants to take a guess, it was I... Richie Gray, who actually, even before Barkley went off, uh, was more. He's got more caps than than John Barkley. John Barkley's fifty-seven, and Richie Gray is currently on sixty-two. 
Um, so I think that real lack of experience and leadership, and, and this is something we were speaking about a couple of years ago, but beyond that, you're looking at a series of guys, again, in the front row, um, who don't have a huge amount of caps uh, amongst them. And, and that in itself, I think, yeah, has certainly contributed to, to, to a distinct lack of leadership around, around the park. And, and Rory, would you agree with that? Do you think the things went out the window when um, the two we lost two captains? Yeah, I think um, I think the, the having having to certainly for me probably it was it was when Hardy went off at the start of the second half. Um, yeah, it was tough. It was tough to see Barkley go off, but um, you thought, okay, we've, we've got John, we've got John Hardy. Um, but it was the fact that we were once you've got Hardy, you're starting to you bring in Swinson on. We we were basically we were forced to go to the bench a lot earlier than I think Cotter would have liked. Um, there was all the talk in in the week of trying to get the big lumbering Frenchman, getting them turned around, and you know it it, it was I mean the, the French line speed was was exceptional, their physicality was was exceptional as well, and they they basically stopped Scotland from from executing their their plan as much as they would have liked. But I'm I'm sure that you know the coaching team were still kind of hoping that France would just go off the boil a bit in the last twenty. You'd bring on you'd bring on your Mark Bennett's and your um, and your Swinsons and John Hardy and maybe run them ragged, but you know those guys were on and off in Hardy's case long before then, and the bench was was more of a sticking plaster than a you know the cavalry riding to the rescue. And Brody, do you think that's the case that this this was a France team that found us out, um, or were we just unlucky with having to bring substitutes on early? I think um, you know Greg coming off was was a big blow. I'll echo that. Um, but I never really felt like we were in any form of control during the game, and. I kind of hoped against it, but I kind of expected us to make mistakes and to let it slip because, I mean, you know, much has been made of the conversion, but it's just kind of, for me, symptomatic of a, a bit of a loss of, of control. We went from being a, a Laidlaw team to a Russell team, and, you know, our, our character changed with that. Um, you know, I'm, we'll get on to Ali Price, but great for such a young guy. What a performance, but he's a pick and go scrum half Greg, I don't know, you know, his kicking game, the, the calls, all that sort of stuff, I think would have served us better going into that last quarter. Once again, the Scottish Rugby blog has teamed up with Dove Men Care to offer you the chance to win two tickets for Scotland versus Wales at BT Murrayfield on Saturday the 25th of February. To win, all you need to do is answer the question, who did Stuart Hogg replace when he came off the bench for his debut against Wales in 2012? Was it 1. Rory Lamont, 2. Max Evans, or 3. Sean Lamont? Then send us the answer along with your contact details. Head over to the site at www.scottishrugbyblog.co.uk where you'll find all the terms and conditions and details of how to send your entry to us. Good luck. It's maybe worth going through the the squad, the, the players and, and those that started then. I mean, we've, we've already talked about the difficulties in the scrum if we're starting at the, the front and working back. We've talked about the difficulties in the scrum. And, and I do wonder, in the last two weeks now, Ross Ford has come on and he's stabilised the scrum. And not only that, but I do wonder whether he's in the referee's ear a lot more than... Brown and Ferguson and, and Dell in, in pointing out what the opposition are doing. Um, is there a case for Osford starting next week, Rory? Um, or two weeks, sorry. Two weeks. 
I would actually say possibly not. Maybe the reason he's busy talking to the ref is he's not doing as much work around the park as Fraser Brown was. Um, if Brown had an excellent game, I thought, and aside from going off at the end with another injury, um, he you know he could be a, a head not worry again. Uh, I think um, you know he he showed finally in the loose what we've kind of been looking for a hooker to, to do in order to kind of wrestle the shirt off Ross Ford. That, so, I mean, Fordy could start, but that's the level of work he's going to have to put in if he wants to to sort of fight off the, the challengers. And Andy, how much importance would you place on, say, the work that Brown does in the loose compared to maybe this slight edge that Ross Ford might give in scrum stability? Yeah, I mean, I think this this goes back to to Cotter's kind of long mooted game plan, and I think you know in the loose Brown stands up a lot better to that whole chaotic way of playing that that that, that Cotter's talked about in the past. Um, yeah, I mean, certainly Ford, obviously at scrum time, well documented, he's acting almost as a third prop. But I think everybody agrees that in the loose Ford shows every so often the potential that he has for a guy of his size but not nearly enough and I really think now we need to start bringing through guys like Ford uh, sorry guys like Brown to, to really step up to the plate so uh, I would I would carry on Brown if fit um, and, and bring Ford on for the last 20 injuries permitting of course <laughs> and, and Brody would you agree with that yeah, absolutely. Fraser Brown really impressed me, and I would echo the concerns with Ford. Um, that sometimes he gets chucked a ball, and you might as well throw it into an empty phone box because he's just not mobile. But you know, that said, there was no coincidence that when he came on, we won a scrum penalty in the first scrum straight afterwards. And admittedly, the uh, the French were driving virtually at a right angle, but you know, um, he was talking to the ref. That is a fact. So. He's got his place, but I think it's on the bench. If we're looking at the second row, then um, Stat Boy missed two tackles Ooh. and gave away two turnovers. Um, but he, looking at his game, he is he he's got very soft hands. I mean, softer than Nanette Newman. That was one for the kids. Um, is he is he having a difficult time? Do you think the last two games, Rory? Is are we expecting too much of him, or is he having difficulties? Um, I don't know. I mean, I think the the level of game he's playing in is, has gone up. Um, the the intensity in in the Scotland Ireland game, uh, the England France game, the England Wales game for sure, and um, our game against France. You know, these are these are a big step up from from even what we've seen in the in the um, European European Champions Cup. And yeah, so maybe he's not. You know, he's not got maybe quite as much time on the ball. Also. Everyone's been banging on about how great he is, so you can bet that the opposition have been doing their research on him and being alert to to his um, to his to the threat. I mean, he he's never been the sort of ball carrier like his like his brother, who who seems to just when he, when he's in the right mood seems to be able to just batter through and get those extra yards. And Richie's certainly been doing that uh, in the tournament so far, which is why he suddenly started popping up in people's sort of choose your own Lions teams. Um, and everyone's just kind of ignoring Johnny, which I, I think probably suits Johnny quite nicely. He's a quiet—he seems like a, a you know a quiet character. Um, I'm not sure whether the, the sort of leadership thing is being thrust upon him, or whether that's something that he, you know, he sees, him, sees himself doing. I'm assuming he was probably the captain when when Barkley went off. I don't know. I didn't notice. Did anybody know who took the captain's armband? Nope. I mean, that would be my guess. I would I would think. Yeah. I mean, that's maybe Although, an indi- that's maybe an indictment of the the issues with game management that 
we don't know. So it can't have been that obvious. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I, this is something actually, it's quite ironic because this is one of the last pieces that I actually wrote for the blog, I think two years ago, um, highlighting this. And it was after fr- against the Italy game where they won with the line out and the referee at one point asked who's captain. And there was this kind of collective because Laidlaw, I think, had gone off as well. It was when Toulouse came on, I believe, as well. And uh, there was just this collective look around of total disbelief. And that was two years ago. So, you know, whilst we have made great strides, that is still a little bit of a concern, if, if I'm being totally honest. Roy said that Richie Gray seems to be in quite imperious form at the minute. He seems to have chosen to um, have a bit of a run. And, and he's looking quite fit for a man that plays in France. Yeah, well, we all know they just eat cheese and drink wine before training sessions and don't really do any sort of conditioning. Seems to be the latest fashionable view of France. But it's nice to see Richie Gray um, re-emerge from his brother's shadow, if such a thing were possible. But um, there was certainly a long time where, you know, Johnny was the answer. And now Richie seems to be having a good season. Um, Cynics would suggest he had a good season before the last Lions tour. Um, But either way... Both of them are playing excellently, really. You know, Johnny Gray hasn't really lost any form. He's just being a bit more human. Um, and, yeah, no, I, I don't think we've got any issues in the second row with those two. And then if we look at the back row, um, all I've written down is, how do you explain Hamish Watson? Because <laughs> he just seems to defy any sort of logic with every carry. Yeah, he's quite phenomenal, isn't he? Um, um, I'm a huge fan of his. I thought he was brilliant on Saturday. Um, He looked a bit gutted when Hardy went off because I think it dawned on him he was going to have to try and maintain that kind of level of performance for another, (laughs) whatever, 30 minutes or so. But, I mean, to be fair to to John Hardy, he didn't know Christmas from Italy. He was getting carried off by uh, Dr. Sir James Robson and, you know, for all he knew, he might as well be on the moon because he was gone. Um. But Hamish Watson, yeah, he went on and, and did brilliantly, I thought. Um, and he must have been burst. I mean, I was burst watching it. I mean, he, he he's sort of turning into the sort of player that really deserves a nickname. And I was trying to work out one for him. And, and he, it struck me, he looked like a honey badger fighting a snake. But, but um, Nick Cummins <laughs> has already taken that nickname. Um, but it's maybe something we should have a competition on, is come up for a nickname for uh, Hamish Watson. Because it, it feels like he deserves one, Rory. Yeah, answers on a postcard. That sounds like a sounds like a great idea. Yeah, I mean uh, Andrew Cotter in the commentary, I think it was, kept on referring to him as a human ball, and that he kept on rolling and rolling and rolling. So I'm sure you could probably fit in some sort of limp biscuit Fred Durst joke in there as well. <laughs> um, I think in terms of animal analogies, a beaver is probably where it's stop sniggering. That's probably where he's at. It's a family podcast, Brody. <laughs> I very much meant the mammal. <laughs> yeah, we'll make that clear. Um, Barkley was Barkley when he was on, and, and Hardy was fairly decent when uh, the, the the short time that he was on the pitch. But Josh Strauss is getting a lot of plaudits. Now, I think he's a bit of a one-trick pony, and I was looking at his stats. He, he made 47 metres against France, which sounds fairly impressive, but he that was with 19 carries with the ball. So that's just over two metres per run, which is fine if he's in the 22 and near the try line, but a lot of that was in the middle of the park. I mean, am I being harsh, Brody? Is that a fair assessment? Uh, well, you know, the stats don't lie. He's obviously got an, an average where he breaks the gain line and, and not a lot more, but 
I think what was really impressive about Strauss was the sheer Herculean effort that was required to break that incredibly physical French line and to even front up on that incredibly physical I mean, he was brave on, on Sunday and he was battered towards the end. You saw him, he just kept stopping and just trying to catch his breath. And, you know, the medical report today says he's got an injury to his flank, which is disconcertingly vague. But he is and was on Sunday uh, an excellent carrier of the ball and really uh, he was my man of the match and uh, Andy would you agree with Brodie on Josh Strauss am I being harsh on him I think yeah I mean I, I certainly agree with Brodie he was he was my man of the match you know he had by far and away his best game in a Scotland shirt um, and, and he really stood out I think it was the best number eight performance that I've seen I guess since, since Denton in the World Cup against Australia um, I mean, his, his metres made weren't particularly great, but I think one thing that he did show on several occasions was was being able to make a couple of yards after the scrum was going backwards as well. Um, and yeah, I mean, look, it was a fantastic effort. And as I say, at the end as well, every time there was a break in play, you know, the, the medics were on sometimes too often, patching him back up like some sort of battered mechanical war machine and sending him back out into the fray kind of patched up. So yeah, he's, he was a great, great, great player, my man of the match as well. I thought injury to the flank sounded like something that should happen to a cow rather than a rugby player. Yeah, war horse. <laughs> um, and then, Rory, um, we'll start with Greg Laidlaw. Um, what impressed me about Laidlaw was the fact that when he, even when clearly broken, he was still trying to get back in the defensive line and trying to marshal the forwards. Yeah, I think, you know, he, Greg is, um, for, for all his critics, Greg's never going to give up, even if he, if he can't actually walk. Um, he's gonna he's gonna keep going, but yeah, I think you could see that he was he was trying really hard not not to limp too noticeably so that they wouldn't send one of their props or pickamoles down his channel. Um, and I mean, when they all I think they almost almost scored just before he went off. Um, they certainly they certainly came near to him, and he just kind of had to hop out the way, and and that probably didn't didn't um, slow France down any. Um, but yeah, I think you know his leadership was was a was a, a big miss not necessarily the pace of, the, of his play price varied the, the pace or up the pace very well um probably the less said about him shoving lopez for a quick tap that he was never going to take quickly anyway is the better um but i think price price did okay that that experience will will stand him in good stead but uh if you've got price and russell you, you who's you know who's controlling the who's controlling the game yeah it's I- not I wondered about that because it looked to me a little bit like when parents leave two teenagers alone in a an empty house. Um, it just sort of like, oh, the, the grown-ups have left the field, now we can let loose. And I did wonder at one point whether or not they should be reaching for the yellow pages and trying to find the number of a French polisher. Yeah. Um, <laughs> they, they another, came one back. The, another one for the youngsters. <laughs> yeah, another one for the youngsters. Yeah, I'm full of 80s uh, advert references today. Um but did Price maybe try and force things a little bit? Um, Brody, do you think? It, should he have had more patience? Yeah, um, I, I quite liked the way he pushed over Lopez. I thought it was uh, amusing. And then I liked the way that Stuart Hogg just escalated it up to about at least 100% more than it needed to be. Um, <laughs> but yeah, no, it was good. You know, I, my, my heart was in my mouth when he came on. I thought, oh my God, you poor lad. This is a horrible game to come on in, um, you know, to, to make, do any meaningful stuff. And he was great. But you're right about the, the kind of um, teenagers alone in the house thing. They were kind of a bit 
Mad Dog 2020, Let's Go Crazy, um, where we could have actually done with a bit of control at times. But I'd rather that than, you know, we played uh, a Dan Parks-esque kicking game and, and just shut the whole thing down. And Andy, do you agree that um, Russell needs a cool head outside of him? Yes and no. I mean, you look at Russell playing for Glasgow and, and, and I mean, it, some of his best performances in recent weeks have came with Price outside of him. So, I mean, similar to what the guys are saying, you know, when, when Price came on, I panicked a little bit, but I wouldn't say it was enjoyable. But at the same time, you know, his, his service was crisp. And, and the best thing I think you could say is that he did not look out of place in the international stage. Um, and, and whilst it was a huge blow to lose Laidlaw, this experience, like we said, with Brown, with Ferguson, is only going to stand Price in good stead. We could have done with the control, of course, but um, yeah, I was happy with how, with how Price paid, uh, played, albeit, like you say, it was slightly panicky at times. And um, Brody, I'll, I'll ask you this because you might um, have more of an insight. I don't know. Um, was Russell lucky to be on the pitch? Because he took, was it, I can't, well, I can't remember who he took. He took a French player in the air and it looked to me like he'd wrapped his arms around him. I think he was lucky not to get a yellow card, but it didn't seem malicious. I know that sounds ridiculous, but it didn't seem like he was trying to tip him or whatever. Um, yeah, I think we got a wee bit lucky there. Um, but, you know, one thing I've noticed about this Six Nations is there hasn't been a lot of yellow cards, and I wonder if that's a conscious thing amongst referees or not. Well, there was a, there was a great interview um, with Wayne Barnes, of all people, a couple of weeks ago, who was explaining the new tackle directives and, and, and made exactly that point that um, referees want to see as much as fans the game flow. Um, and, and they're taking more into account that, yeah, if you, in his words, get a slap around the face um, or, a, or a tickle around the face, he said, you know, with a, a tackle that slips up, referees are trying to be more understanding of that. And I think we saw a few of those um, whereby the tackler ducked or, or, or slipped under it and the arm caught them, that perhaps you would have said that's a high tackle. But um, I think, although he wasn't the greatest, I thought the ref did get that get that one right. I don't want to uh, I don't want to rain in your parade, but uh, John Lacey is refereeing Scotland v Wales. Oh, uh, uh, well, there goes there goes all optimism and happiness for the evening. <laughs> we'll uh, we'll cover that next week. Um, but if we move to we'll move to the centres. I think we've you know we'll we'll gloss. We've already partially discussed Russell's amazing uh, go, attempt at goal. We've got Dunbar and Jones. Now Jones, interestingly, made more tackles than Dunbar. But I think I agree with you, Rory. I think Dunbar for me was the certainly man of the match for Scotland. Uh, I I actually thought Strauss was man of the match, but Dunbar would have been second. Did I misread your match report? I thought you'd pick possibly. Dunbar. I may I, I may have miswritten my match report. I certainly intended <laughs> to give it to Strauss. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I think Dunbar was, um, as they said, they said in the commentary on the telly, he was, you know, he was an extra, extra open side along with Brown. Um, they were, you know, they were just snaffling ball, and slowing it down, and and he did it, he did it really well. Um, he was another one that looked like a bit like Strauss. He looked like he'd taken a few knocks and was kind of just carrying on um, with sort of with bloody mindedness, which seems to be the, the catchphrase of the Scotland team at the moment. Um, but he didn't. He didn't get much. He didn't get much ball. I, I mean, I would be interested to see um, like a stat on how often Russell has uh, sent, has given Dunbar a non-hospital pass this tournament. Um, the ball always seems to sort of skip skip past him and go straight to to Hog or to uh, maybe to Jones. And so Dunbar's not really been used for crash ball much. Is that something that you think they need to do more of against Wales? Then I, I, th- I think so. Although I suppose to, that would be like playing playing Warren ball against Warren ball so that might might not work so well but yeah, uh, yeah I think um, 
I just yeah, I mean, I think Dunbar is in in a good run of form for Glasgow in terms of the you know the attacking lines he was he was running, and um, it would be a shame to shame to waste that. Again, that may come down to the the fact that this the Scottish backline wasn't given much time by France, but they're not going to you know they weren't given much time by by mm-hmm. Ireland, and they're they're not going to be given any time by Wales. The defenses are up incredibly quick in this tournament, and um, Scotland need to learn a way to to play their game without. You know, without relying on having an armchair ride from the pack, which they're almost never going to get. Um, I'll quick fact check because I don't want to um, live off fake news and alternate facts. But you did give it to Josh Strauss. I've just checked. That's a relief. Yeah. <laughs> Is um, Alex Dunbar one of the concussion HIAs? I believe so. Yeah. Yeah. It actually said in the report, I think, that he showed signs after the match of concussion, so it's being monitored. Yeah, he right. passed the first. The first, he passed the on-field or the 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 ten-minute head injury assessment, but then um, manifested uh, the release. Said, Did Dunbar passed his HIA one during the match, but developed some symptoms, possibly in keeping with concussion after the match. So he may not be in concussed. Is that but, four in total for Scotland then? Uh, yes. Yeah, yeah, Brown Dunbar. Um, Hardy. Hardy and Barkley, I think. Although Barkley's got a shoulder injury too. Yeah. So clearly four HIAs to one against the French. Yeah. Okay, that's another victory. <laughs> <laughs> well, the other thing I got written down here, which I made a note during the match, was um, um, I don't know if anybody noticed Hugh Jones coming up and playing scrum half, and he did half a decent job of it. So I don't know if that might be an option going forward. <laughs> well, seemingly, he can play everywhere. Yeah. Well, maybe our answer at tighthead. Yeah, it no, could be. He might do a Johnny Main pack down at uh, flanker as well, but hopefully be more successful than that that experiment. Yeah, stick his head in the right place anyway. <laughs> exactly. Um, and we've got, go at the back three. Um, Maitland for me looked a, uh, much better than he did against Ireland, um, which is strange given that we we lost this game. Um, but I thought apart from the Swinson try i thought seymour again was pretty quiet i don't know if that's mm-hmm. again unfair yeah i mean i don't think he, he saw a huge amount of ball i mean it was a case of yeah i, I kind of struggled at times to identify that he was playing and um, which is a real shame because he's, he's obviously so incredibly exciting ball in hand but um i think he was starved of start of, of, of ball to be honest i mean with with maitland um you know, the guy is supposedly the fastest player in the Scotland squad by all accounts. And and, and in a couple of occasions, both in the Ireland and the French matches, you kind of wish that he just he would just back himself a bit more. He seems to have this tendency to want to cut back inside. Um, and I've not really seen him for, for some time just really, really go for the line and use that pace that he's got. But, um, I mean, again, defensively, he was, he was sound. And, and Maitland, I think, is very underrated in the air as well. I think he's cracking under the high ball. But uh, yeah, Seymour, Seymour was disappointing. But again, I think that does come down to the lack of all. Do you think, though, maybe, Rory, that Seymour should be going and looking for work? Yeah, I mean, he, he does he does uh, a fair bit. But, you know, that, that sort of um, set-piece move off the off the scrum or the, the right close in where he kind of cuts in the line. Visser used to do that as well. And that was that was what Visser did when people criticised him for not, not looking for enough work. Um, I think it, it's, it's tricky that... With the with the size and speed of the French back three, the the Scottish boys probably had to keep their wits about them uh, in case there was a turnover or a, a cheeky little offload that came off, which most of the French offloads were 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 coming off. Um, they you know they probably had to stay alert and couldn't couldn't come drifting in inside too much. Um, 
yeah, but I would yeah, I'd like to see I'd like to see him more involved, especially um, if they pick Alex Cuthbert on the wing. Yeah, and and Brody, you gave Stuart Hogg nine point five last week because nobody gets a ten. Um, I thought maybe he lacked a lot of composure this week. He just he doesn't seem to manage particularly well when Scotland are under the cosh. And there's a certain element of um, the Sergio Parise's, you know, I'll do it myself. Um, and certainly in that last closing minutes where he was stripped of the ball, despite having players outside of him. Yeah, there is a bit of that with him. I mean, he's an instinctive player. He's also a, a quite a selfish player. Um, and, you know, the, the try, the first try, um, Hamish Watson was just outside him, but there was no way that ball was going to him either. Um, and fair play to him, but I'm starting to get some concerns about his defence as well. Um, he, he slips a few tackles now and again, and uh, yeah, I mean I love Hoggin. I think he's great, and he's easily one of our best players. But um, I don't think Sunday was his best game. And you know, you look at kind of let's take Halfpenny. Halfpenny does three things well: he kicks, um, you know, he tackles well, and he's got great guns. And you know, I just wonder if that's going to be a steadying choice when it comes to the Lions. But I mean, I know we'll get onto the Lions later, but I, I thought um, Hoggy was fine, but it wasn't his best game. No, I, I did note that. I think his body position for the French try seemed to be all wrong. I don't know what you thought, Andy. Yeah, I mean, it's something that, that unfortunately highlighted. I mean, I, I love Stuart Hogg and I think he's a fantastic player. But defensively, for a couple of years, I think it's always been the question mark that we've had about him. The, the, the try, yeah, his body position seemed wrong, although uh, he would be a difficult person to stop when he's flying through the air at you like that. But, um, I mean, what was quite telling, I don't know if you noticed the VT, that they, uh, they ran in Scotland-France um, games before before kickoff, And there was at least two occasions in that that you saw Stuart Hogg throwing his arms up in frustration in previous games where he missed a tackle. Um, and yeah, Carney ran past him for Ireland. I think he slipped a tackle or two in this one as well. And it does, looking ahead to the lines, it does just worry me that for all his attacking flair, um, does somebody like Halfpenny offer that defensive solidity that you know might be more appreciated by somebody like Gatland? At the same time, you don't want to coach anything out of somebody like Hogg, of course. Yeah, and in terms of the decision making as well, Rory, I thought with the long range kick Hogg attempted, it was there was still plenty of the game left, and I wondered whether or not they should have gone to the corner and who who it was that maybe made that call, whether it was Hogg calling for the ball or a poor decision by whoever was captain at the time. Yeah, I think that that was probably uh, that was down to leadership. But um, I mean, if you look at the sort of the kind of the repeatable pattern that most of the top teams use at the moment, it's. Uh, you know any sort of penalty, scrum penalty, whatever. Boot it as far as you can into you know into the opposition half. Take a line out, get a mall going, and either score or get another penalty. Um, and even against uh, the beefy French pack, you know the Scotland should have been fancying their chances. Um, the back the back line was pretty much the, the starting back line right up to the end. Uh, so for me, yeah, that that kick should have gone into the corner. Get a line out going and. You know, give the ball to Watson or Strauss or or put spin it out wide and see what the see what they can do because the French would have been tired too. Um, they just done you know they hadn't been tested as much. And in terms of the replacements, I mean, we've said already that they maybe came on a lot earlier than maybe Vern Cotter was planning, but 
Um, Swinson was a standout. I thought anybody else stand out from the bench for you guys? Duncan Weir. <laughs> Swinson, I think, yeah. Yeah, Swinson. I mean, do you know, saying this, if you'd looked at it before the game kicked off, um, you know, Barkley goes off, you bring on somebody of the calibre of Hardy, Hardy goes off, you've got Swinson who's in the form of his life, okay, playing out of position, but didn't look, I don't think, unnatural there, and I know he's got experience playing there too. Price coming on for, for Laidlaw, a guy like Bennett coming on the centres, you know, I'm not saying that we've got great strength and depth, but actually there's more there than there has been in recent years, and that's not even talking about the guys that haven't made the squad, so... I think there's a case for a bit of optimism there, excluding the front row replacements, of course. But, yeah, I think there's a case for, for a bit of optimism there. Would you agree with that, Brodie? Should we be optimistic about the selection from the bench? Yeah, I think generally. Um, I do. I mean, I don't mean to bash Duncan Weir, but he, he was not even the best Scottish replacement standoff of the weekend. That, of course, is down to... Tommaso Allen, uh, <laughs> our, uh, our one-time uh, great loss. Um, but no, I think generally the, the bench is okay. Yeah, the front row aside, um, I thought Swinson w- was was great, and you know he he went he straight into the pace of the game. Obviously, took that try really well. Um, great support line. Um, yeah, absolutely optimistic. I mean, generally optimistic about this Scotland squad at the moment and where we're going. Comment of the week. Okay, guys, it's time for comment of the week. Um, to be eligible, you have to leave a comment on the blog. We won't accept comments on Twitter or on SoundCloud or anywhere else, although, of course, you are welcome to leave comments there. So, um, Andy, who have you chosen for your comment of the week? I have chosen Murrayfield Song. Um, it's a bit of a long one, so I'll, I'll try and rattle through it quite quickly. But, uh, I mean, just off, this is a strong and competitive team, even in adverse circumstances, and we've not had that in years um, he then goes on to talk about the boomer bust mentality of the support being disappointing and ultimately self-destructive um, and talks up a few more of the, the strengths. And, and I think really sums up for me a lot of how I feel personally and from talking to friends about uh, about really the, the reasons to be optimistic, as we've just mentioned. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I think there's 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 cause for, cause for optimism um, unless we get hammered by whales. <laughs> yeah. Well, and that's something I think I would temper my optimism with as well. I think there was credit in the bank after the island result, and I think obviously that makes this loss a bit easier to, to, to swallow. Yeah. But uh, yeah, following up for the games ahead, then um, yeah, <laughs> it'd be a slightly different mood in a few weeks' time. Well, we could always console ourselves with having more losing bonus points in Italy. Uh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> and and Brody, who did you pick out for comment of the week? Um, so mine was from the match report, and it was the Chiel or the Chiel C H E C H I E L even, um, and the uh, comment is too big, literally an advantage for France in the scrum. And whilst there was no lack of effort and some genuine instances of class, um, I don't think anyone could argue with the overall result. We did get a couple of breaks with the disallowed try and Russell's aerial challenge, but with all the injuries to compete throughout and get the losing bonus point is not the worst result ever. Only one point with five minutes to go and a miracle score required. Who swaps Russell for Weir unless Russell can't walk? And uh, I have to say I agree. Uh, okay, I think we sort of um, similar comment there. Everyone's, it's a bit worrying how optimistic we are, um, I have to say. Not, not on, uh, based on any evidence, of course, just it feels unnatural as a Scotland fan or a follower of Scotland to be 
so optimistic after a defeat. Is that unnerving anybody else? Slightly, yes. And, I, yeah. and I'm at the forefront of this optimism and it's worrying myself, I have to say. And Rory, who did you pick out for comment of the week? Uh, I've gone for James, also on the match report. Um, this goes um, this goes back to what we were talking about uh, just a minute ago about the, the leadership and the, the kicking. James said, Finn needs to learn at times to play the percentages. The hog penalty from almost on our own 10-metre line was a waste and should have been sent to the corner. We weren't at a time in the game when we needed to take a sub-50% shot. It, it sort of highlights the uh, the possible lack of leadership we've got in the team and, and also... Um, you know, Hulk doesn't get that many of these fifty meter, fifty meter kicks. So, um, yeah, somebody should have probably said, just use your big boot to to get it as close to the touchline as you can, rather than to sky it twenty meters side of the side of the post. <laughs> um, I've actually gone for one of your comments, Rory, which is uh, reminding people not to leave competition answers on the blog. <laughs> <laughs> it's Could I? Well, yeah. It is uh, it is uh, prescient and emotive that comment. Yeah. Could I just give a, a, an honourable mention to a chap called Eddie who commented uh, on, I think, Gav's piece this evening before we started recording. Um, he has given a suggested lineup for the upcoming match, of which consists of Dell, Ford, Bergen, Richie Gray, Swinson, Rob Harley, Hamish Watson, Dupree, Pergos as captain, Russell Seymour, Horn at 12, Hogg at 13, Maitland at 14, and Peter Murchie at fullback. Uh, and in his words, he watched Johnny play for both Canvas Lang and White Craigs, and he really isn't what everyone makes him out to be, in my honest opinion. Swinson or Harley are far superior players, which uh, has, has a few responses thus far. What what time did he leave that comment? Because there's always a possibility that he'd been drinking. Uh, 7.02pm, 7, 7 uh, so quite possibly. Yeah, seven hours in the pub. Exactly. Not even Grant Gilchrist in that team. Not even Grant. <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, he does say I M H O, which is always a sign that someone has carefully considered their their, uh, their opinion. On um, the uh, on the optimism thing, Cam, just quickly. Um, you know, we've 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 been through a lot of false dawns um, as as Scot- Scotland rugby fans, and this one feels a little bit more solid. And um, yeah, I, I'm I'm. For one, I'm quite optimistic. Although, speaking of past um, Scotland teams, I still miss Frank Haddon. I just miss him. <laughs> just so, so we've got miss him. So, what you're saying, Brody, is we've got a solid false dawn. We do a solid false dawn, with or without Frank Haddon. <laughs> and Frank, if you're out there, Brody's waiting for your call. <laughs> I am, and I, I really miss that way we used to go from one side of the pitch to the other, and then back again, and then back again, and then back again. It was comforting. That's what it was. It was it comforting. Was. You knew where you were. You know, we had the the boot of Chris Patterson. All we had to do was stop the other score, the other team scoring tries, and just try and get them to concede penalties. It was it was like a warm blanket. It was, <laughs> and, and and yours and and my favourite um, Berwick alumni. Biggers in the front row as well. What more oh. glorious sight can you have than Craig Smith running with the ball? Super. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Biggers in full flight is a, is a sight to behold. And we, I often used to come across him on country roads, sat in sat in a tractor around the the um, <laughs> the mean mean uh, streets of um, North rural North North Northumberland, and that was quite a sight as well. Um, Imagine. Yeah. I, I think one of the most emotional um, sights I've ever seen was I was actually at Murrayfield um, for a Calcutta Cup win and seeing Gavin Kerr and um, Biggers carrying the Calcutta Cup around Murrayfield was, was quite something. They were in a couple of years above me in terms of the age grades 
um, and, and big guys around the club. So it's a shame, actually. I think, um, you know, we, we maybe haven't been as good in the scrum since we lost Berwick players, and that's maybe something the SRU should heed. Quite. Yeah, yeah let's, let, let's send a postcard to Scott Johnson. Perhaps, yeah, take a look at... <laughs> take a look at um, Take a look at Berwick. Well, interestingly, they did. They lost out on um, Scott Wilson, who's playing at Falcons, and he's uh, quite a prospect. He's actually been. He played for Saxons now, so he's he's um, he's tied to England. But he was born in Eyemouth, played, came up through the age ranks in Berwick, and I think was on the radar, but has ended up at Falcons and is now played for the Saxons. So he's tied to England. That's a bit of a, a shame to lose out on a twenty yeah. stone. Oh, well, I mean, just one. One name that just to look back to the front row. I mean, John Welsh, Falcons. You've just mentioned there as well. I mean, is he anywhere in consideration in anybody's mind at all? Yeah, well, we talked about that in an, an earlier episode about his playing the loose. I mean, we've you know his kicking skills alone should see him in the starting berth. Um, on that note, we'll uh, move on to the fantasy league. Fantasy Scottish Rugby Blog, Fantasy Six Nations League. Okay, guys, we're going to talk about our Fantasy League now. Um, you can find us on Superbrew. Details are on the blog, www.scottishrugbyblog.co.uk. Um, I was a bit annoyed this week because I had CJ Stander as my captain. If I had him as my captain from the start, um, and just on the basis that I thought he'd win lots of Man of the Match awards and get lots of points. Now, he scored a hat-trick. He scored me 86 points this week. And yet, I'm somehow still way, way down the leaderboard. So I've no idea how this works, and I'm, I'm, I'm quite angry. But I think I'm, I'm, I'm around you, Andy. Are you? Have, I mean, have you any idea how this works? Uh, well, I mean, I, I also do fantasy uh, Premier League football as well, and this, this is very, very similar. So yeah, you and I are joint forty sixth as well. Um, but I'm not entirely sure the scoring parameters on Superbrew. I have to say. Um, I selected my team the day before the Six Nations started, and I haven't made any changes since. And uh, thankfully, I've got a better score in week two than I did in week one. So that perhaps shows how much I know about rugby. You've, but, uh, you've moved. You've moved up thirty-nine positions. Yes. And I, despite CJ Stander scoring me eighty-six points, have moved up nine. Um, I'm only assuming that people above me are some sort of moneyball obsessed geeks. Well, there's. I think the per- the person in first is now eighty three or eighty four points ahead of us. I have no idea how that's possible. Uh, Rory, can we start having a closed league to just people that are rubbish at this? <laughs> yeah, if if you like, I would I would definitely uh, I would definitely be better off than I am now. Actually, if you if you're on Superbrew and you go to help on the right hand side and there's a scoring system thing, it tells you how they how they work out the uh, the scores. Obviously, you get tries for. Uh, points for things like tries, um, whether the player starts, if your team wins. Um, but you also get things like if the forwards win 100% of on scrums, each forward gets two points and stuff. So you get, ah. get points for the team stuff. is a little bit more advanced than your your average fantasy football, I think. Okay. Forwards win 90% of on lineouts, you get two to each forward. So it kind of, I guess there's probably more thought process than, than we're currently putting in required in order to, to come up with the master team. And Brody, you were saying before we came on that you're quite proud of yourself this week. Where are you? Yeah, I'm really bad. I'm I'm really really far down. Um, and I actually tried this week. Uh, it was quite dispiriting. But I have to say, 
at least 65% of the blame is uh, Greg Laidlaw's. Because has he, he, has he scored poorly for you again? Because he did badly for you last week. against me last week, if you remember, because I didn't make him a kicker or a captain or something. I don't know. I only yeah. got like three points or something. And now this week, he only goes and, you know, breaks his foot or whatever. And, and you know, didn't take many kicks and whatnot. So he didn't score very well for me this week. And then I put my faith in, stupidly, in an England trio of Hartley, Wood and Farrell. And <laughs> oh, none the of them un- unholy Trinity. I know. What a nonsense, eh? Um, but I do, however, think I should get a lot of points for my name because I think my name is the best. What was your name again? More points than Johnny Gray's Opta. Opta. Nice. Now I'm on page two of our Super Brew League. Do you know what position you're in? 135,000. Yeah. So. I'll give you a clue. There's 108 in the league at the moment. Wow. Okay. I only scored 145.5 points, so I'm reckon I'm on about 101. Um, you scored 145 points this week. I think so. Or overall, I can't I find know. you. I was on 130 somewhere. last week, so I'm um, sure I got better than 15 points. Can anybody do quick maths and work out where Rory should be? <laughs> uh, Rory, hang on. I can find. I can find Rory. You're. Uh, you're. You've I'm, dropped three places. You're down to 98. I am right down the bottom. Yeah, my uh, my selection policy, I think, is um, I find it really hard to let my head overrule my heart. So I'm kind of half-picking guys that I would like to play really well because I like how they play the game rather than the fact that they're actually going to score bucket loads of points. And then, of course, there's that usual thing where I'm sitting going, oh, nice one, I picked him when I find out that I picked Sean O'Brien and not CJ Stander and I picked Tommy Seymour and not Stuart Hogg. And then last week I dropped Ben Youngs for Connor Murray, who was possibly the lowest scorer in an Irish team at not 60 points past Italy. So... Um, my aim going forward, I've, I've kind of reset my goals and I'm aiming to get inside the top 100 out of the 108 that we have playing. Yeah, I mean, I um, I had a similar thing. I benched Liam Williams purely on the basis that I don't like his face, um, which is perhaps, uh, well, was premature because he obviously scored the try, so that left 11 points. But um, yeah, I mean, the first, the first week we started doing it, I kind of sat down at my computer and, and found myself giving some sort of motivational speech to, uh, to the team. Uh, and clearly it didn't do much good. So, I've, I've got a tip for you, though, for, for two weeks' time. There's a okay. young Scottish standoff uh, as part of the Italy setup. It's called Tommaso <laughs> Allen. It's quite difficult to pronounce. Tommaso Allen. I think he's going to be really good. Really good. Maybe we could nickname him Tommy. I mean, that would be that would be quite funny. Oh, you'd hate that. <laughs> well, I, don't, I, don't want, I don't want to go down the um, Eddie Butler route of pronouncing... Oh. You know, anglicised names in ridiculously sort of Gallic ways. Uh, it's positive. Yeah, That's every time, every time Eddie Butler says Scott Spedding, it sounds like Adam Ant singing Prince Charming. Scott Spedding, it's uh, unbelievable. It's, I'm embarrassed for him. Yeah, both Scott Spedding and Eddie Butler. <laughs> to be fair, it's like it is quite entertaining though. It's almost like having Stephen Toast in the commentary box. And, and I can sympathise a little bit because I had to edit my own audio on this the first week we did it because I pronounced Langham Langholm. So I'm, <laughs> I've got some sympathy with, with Eddie Butler. It's not easy. I, I think I pronounced Magnus Bradbury Marcus Bradbury at one point as well. Oh, uh, well. Yeah, well, I've got the power of the editing so I can make myself sound uh, good and you all terrible, um, such as the power at my fingertips. It's the legally mandated lions chat. The legally mandated lions chat. We've heard so much 
about it that it makes us sick But we've still got a chat about who Gatlin's gonna pick Okay guys, it's the uh, weekly legally mandated Lions chat. We've touched on it a little bit. Um, I think everyone's in agreement this week that maybe Stuart Hogg's place in the starting lineup maybe isn't as secure as it was last week. Brody? Yep, yep, I agree. Uh, I think Finn Russell's blown it. I think he's out of the reckoning altogether. The Grey brothers looking good for a squad place. And Hamish Watson probably put his hand up for a selection as well, I would say. Um Warren Hollywood Gatland was also at the Stade de France, apparently. Um, although he wasn't seen on camera, may have possibly been eating oysters with Mike Phillips or going and getting his ear pierced or something. I, I don't know. What, whatever kind of guys his age having a crisis do. Um, but yeah, that's two Scotland games in a row. That's more than he normally gets, um, being yeah. that he only ever previously watched Scotland and Wales are playing them. Probably been off and had an, an, an inadvisable tattoo or something like that. Um, I thought Dunbar probably did enough to at least merit a squad place, Rory. I don't know what you thought. Yeah, I think uh, Dunbar and I think certainly Watson. Um, I mean, we, we talked about how good Josh Strauss was in Scotland terms. I think, you know, he was excellent. But I think there's, while there is, there's actually a, almost a lack of out and out sevens. Um, Sam Warburton's come onto a bit of a game for Wales, but uh, Watson could definitely, you know, he could fill he could fill a role if they're if they're looking for that specific kind of kind of open side that he is, and the fact that he consistently seems to um, make holes against players a lot bigger than him might go in his favour. But I think, unfortunately for Strauss, the Lions are not going to be short of ball carrying eights, and he's probably got uh, Vunipola, Falata, Moriarty, Stander, and he's slip ahead of him. And Andy, was there anybody that stood out for you for Scotland that might be sticking their hand up for Alliance choice? Yeah, I mean, all the names mentioned have been Dunbar, I think, was the one that you could say probably made the most progression, as it were, if there was some sort of happy flow chart. Um, then, yeah, I would say he was moving up on that regard. Um, but the one for me, um, and I have a very strong, strong suspicion that he will tour, is Sean Maitland. Um, he obviously went before... Uh, and I just think he's offering a lot defensively at the moment as well. And I just I'm waiting for him to well to get his first try, obviously, for a while in the Six Nations. But um, I think he's a player that Gatland likes and would also fit into into Gatland's style of of play. Uh, I really think, depending on how he goes for Saris for the rest of the season as well, you could be looking at you know Premiership Champions Cup final for him as well. So I I, I can see Maitland uh, potentially making his way in there too. I'm just wondering. I mean, I, I know. Xander Ferguson had a, a tough time in the uh, scrum this week, but his work in the loose is still pretty good. And I wonder whether or not Gatlin might be... T- I know the Lions like to take younger players just to get them the experience for later tours. And I wonder whether he might be tempted to take him just to throw him on for five minutes at the end of a, a week game, Rory? Yeah, I mean, that that's it's, it's a possibility. I mean, it, it's going to depend on, um, on injuries. Uh, England have got a lot of their guys coming back from, from injury now, so... Um, they're going to start filling out filling out spots, I think. But um, yeah, I mean, I I think you know he's playing he's playing well enough in the in the loose. Uh, I'm sure the Lions have got some somebody to coach the scrums that might might know something about something. Although it's probably Graham Roundtree who doesn't think much of Scottish props traditionally. Um, I mean, the other thing I was thinking about earlier was, you know, we we should really be talking about Ross Ford in the in, you know when we're talking about Lions. This is a guy who's got 100 caps. Um, and and there is debates around. And is a lion. He's he's already already toured. 
and there's debate around you know the the hooker position um best obviously didn't play this weekend because he was ill hartley got subbed off because he's not fit um jamie george is probably the form guy in england you know we should ford should be should be in this debate but it's just um it's kind of symptomatic of the of the way, the way that he he plays that he's not well perhaps maybe he he fits with gatlin's plans because he, he can play warren ball yeah that's that's true he does like running through brick walls and not getting very far. He's a possible centre option. In the Bastero mould. Jimmy Roberts, yeah. So Roberts at 12 and Ford at 13. Oh, the hands that you would get from that. <laughs> soft hands, soft hands. Incredible, yeah. No, I think it's a really interesting point about Ford as well, and, and, and I totally agree, you know... I, I think there is, if there's one position in the Northern Hemisphere that's that, that's lacking, it's, it's, it's perhaps hooker, or I should say, from the from, from the uh, British Isles in Ireland that is lacking. I think is hooker. I don't think Best is a great a great player. Hartley's got well-known discipline problems, and and you know George looks like a good player. I think he will definitely tour. Um, but you're talking about a guy with over a hundred caps for his country, a lion. He's captain both club and country. And the fact that he's not really anywhere near discussions about it, I think, is quite a damning indictment of him, I have to say. I really yeah. like the way that um, Richard Hibbard, who was the Lions hooker last time, nickname is Fatrick Swayze. <laughs> That's <is> fantastic. <laughs> I've heard that before. It's wonderful. It's just the best. Any any more for the Lions, guys? I think that's right. All yeah. done. Yeah, Fun. slim pickings this week. Um uh, did anybody apart? Oh, I watched a bit of the Edinburgh game. Did it, Rory? Did you watch the Glasgow game? No, I saw uh, I saw half an hour of it of the Edinburgh game without the sound off, um, and so I didn't I didn't see the the very last bit. Um, but you know, from what I saw, that you know their pack still looks quite good. Um, obviously, neither of the teams got the results at this this weekend, but uh, Edinburgh have got you know they've got some good ball players. Um, I think Ben Toulis is very you know very very unlucky. Um, not to you know, not to have more involvement with Scotland because he's you know he's playing pretty well at the moment and um, putting some good stuff together at the lineout and um, Magnus Bradbury I guess might be he might be in line for a call up if the if the if there's back row injuries um, I saw someone actually I can't remember where it was earlier suggest that uh, that we play at Swinson at six and then you get the Grey brothers and you bring Toulis in on the bench as, as second row cover. Um, I don't know whether that was just a way to get Toulouse involved or whether um, they actually thought Swinton would, would cut it at six. There's, I suppose it's a possibility. Yeah, I, I mean, Bradbury had a pretty decent game against Ulster at the weekend uh, on Friday night, actually. Um, he was probably the, Him and Toulouse were probably the two standout players for me. Um, they just look badly coached, to be honest. If they can get a decent coach in, there's, there's a lot of good players in Ember. For them, as much as Ember fans will moan about all the talent, going in one direction mm. they're not short of skills it's just they yeah. looked badly coached although I wondered whether or not they should approach Nigel Owens did anybody see the uh, his coaching tips mid-game no, no. Where, um, I can't remember who it was someone an Ember player was, was pretty much through on the try line and um, Hoyland Hoyland and through the pass and as he was retreating, um, Owens turned around to him and said, "You should have backed yourself. I thought you were through there." Um, so maybe, maybe that's the solution to Ember's coaching problem. Sorry, it was it was Tovey who was through, who then threw a pass to Hoyland, who dropped it. But Hoyland didn't have a great game altogether. I thought he was really off the pace and looked a bit kind of, um, yeah, a bit shook up or something. I don't know whether that was the Ulster backs he was facing, but um, yeah, it was didn't look great. 
Yeah, I mean, Ulster didn't look sh- that sharp. I mean, I think if Glasgow can pull themselves together, I think they've probably got a decent chance of getting a result this weekend, albeit they might have some players return to them. Yeah, I mean, has, has anybody heard anything further? You mentioned coaching. Has anybody heard anything more about Cockrell potentially to Edinburgh? I know there's been a, a rumour flying around for the last week or so. I think someone, I think it was Rob Robertson in the suggested on Twitter that uh, that they they definitely sort of they definitely made their overtures, but whether he was considering them or whether he's knocked them back and they've not announced it. I mean, obviously, I don't think they would announce it if he did knock them back. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the, the, there's nothing nothing being heard. Um, right. Someone was suggesting that he might fancy uh, wherever it was that John O'Gibbs was at Claremont. Um, now okay. he's he's going to Ulster next season, so there's a coaching coaching vacancy in France. Maybe Cockrell will fancy more than than yeah. taking do- dogs abuse from Scot- Scottish fans. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe we should send um, send him a promotional video for from the Ember Tourist Board just to try and um, try and sell it as a destination. Train spotting too. <laughs> Possibly, yeah. Well, he might enjoy that. Well, we weren't at the Glasgow game, but John Anderson was, and he caught up with Gregor Townsend. We, we weren't as accurate as we we trained, um, and part of that is the opposition putting pressure on your on your ball. Uh, but I felt I felt the effort was really good. I thought the first twenty minutes we were looking pretty set. We didn't get the the breaks a couple of times with bouncing the bounce of the ball, um, but our set piece was going well. And then Scarlets responded really well to that yellow card. I thought they played well during that period. We started to make errors and let them back into the game. And after that, they, they defended really well. We, we put huge effort in the second half, but we weren't accurate enough. Um, and then just a couple of things that hurt us were, were either giving away a penalty in our third or not looking after the ball in our third, um, which gives, obviously, territory and the ball back to the opposition um, in a place where you don't want them to get it. But I thought, I thought they played really well. They're, they're obviously a top side in our, our league, and uh, our effort wasn't didn't match our accuracy tonight. Breakdown a problem all the way through. It was, and part of that was um, the the emphasis that uh, Scarlett's put on the post tackle area, what what they were able to do there. Um, uh, and tonight, uh, James Davis was outstanding. So there's a couple of things we we got the ball ripped a couple of times, um, so that's our ball security, um, and they were really quick on ball. And even the breakdown, I think there was one in the second half when we were about three or four yards from the line, someone kicked the ball. So these are things we don't often see from the team. And it's on those nights when you when things don't go the way you planned them to. But even when you were in a year-round breakdown, it was slow ball. Yeah, it was slow. And again, I think it was quick in the second half. I think the, the um, middle period of, sort of the, the second quarter, they, did, they certainly slowed down our ball. And where the individual bits of play that we did... Very well tonight. I've got images of, of Nick Gregg making breaks, um, Rory Hughes, um, our forwards carrying well, Brian Allen, who say um, us doing some really good individual things, but it didn't go into, to, I don't know, multi phase. It ends up with a, with a penalty to us or a try to us. So that team's not going to change much, or this group of players not going to change much over the next four weeks. Um, we'll have to improve. Uh, that, was a, that was a tough loss for us, but. We know um, to get back in the top four, we've got to, got to win our next few games and there'll be tough matches. Okay, guys, it's uh, been a pretty miserable week, so we'll try and make it more miserable by having a bit of a moan. It's time for Hands in the Ruck. <laughs> 
Um, so Rory, um, I've explained the concept to you in a chat earlier today. So have you got your head around this now? Yeah, just about. It's it's the it's the bit where we all get to act like Brody. That's right. Or, 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 uh, or Stephen Jones. Um, so, 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 what's had its hands in your rock this week, then, Rory? Well, well, I've got, I've got in my notes in front of me. It says, "Try not to mention Stephen Jones," because <laughs> um, the, well, the guys we'll... at the uh, the other podcast they've got enough enough beef going on with him. But uh, yeah, no, what what uh, what sort of caught my eye earlier was um, Andrew Cotter um, get, getting some criticism on tw- on Twitter from uh, I think it was a, a lady golfer. Um, Saying, I thought you were Scottish. You're really hard to listen to. Scotland are doing great. They're not hanging on. Complaining about uh, the sort of neutrality of his commentary, which I think in this day and age is actually quite a good thing to have a have a neutral commentary. Um, aside from the fact that Scotland were at that point actually hanging on and you know lucky to still be in the game. Um, when you I think when you when you say lady golfer, is that a euphemism or was she genuinely a lady? No, golfer? I think I believe I believe she was a <laughs> she was a, a a member of the women's P, the LPGA. Ah, okay, right. But but Bill McLaren was fairly impartial as well. So do you yeah, think people I, just I misremember think things? Bill McLaren is you know he's the gold standard for commentators. So um, just because you know just because um, the Welsh have Jonathan Davis to be ridiculously biased in his commentary or his you know his analysis, I don't think necessarily we need. I mean, Andy Nicholl does the cheerleading bit for Scotland. Um, I think the main commentator should be fairly impartial. He's just there to call the game. Um, On and... Andy Nicholl, every time he says Vern Cotter, it sounds like he's saying Vern Cotton. <laughs> well, a, lot, a lot of people do call him that, but not to his face. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. Speaking of uh, Jonathan Davis, I don't know if anybody saw his uh, his be- beautiful match analysis where he spent about thirty seconds jabbing <laughs> the grass and making yeah. little red dots and, on the screen. And then by the time it kind of came back to say, and if you follow the pass here, then it obviously cut straight back to the uh, to the action. It was it was yeah. a joy to behold. Yeah. If anyone if anyone's looking for the true voice of Jonathan Davis, get following. Uh, I think there's a there's like a fake Jonathan Davis account on Twitter called Lord Jiffy. It's a picture of picture of Jiffy with a. a a daffodil for a head um, and it's it's quite a good laugh is Mike Blair still doing that um, I am Stern Vern business not sure know. was it was yeah. it him that was doing it apparently so really I think yeah. there is Stern Vern there were two there were two Stern Vern accounts not, and they don't pop up that often anymore so maybe now that he's an employee I can well I can admit one of the Stern Vern accounts was mine and it, it was in reaction to the fact that the first guy that set it up was rubbish having a parody account <laughs> because he would just put on things like "Come on, Scotland," which yeah. completely broke character. And I think if you're going to do a parody account, you can never, ever, ever break character. Um, but then I just got bored with it. <laughs> I think I let it lapse. So um, contra- controversy and scandal. Uh, Stern Vern Cotter parody accounts unveiled. There you go. There's the headline for the next. <laughs> There's the headline. Yeah, I've broken. I've broken character. I broke my own rule and broken character. Yeah, um, Stern even though I don't Vern have the account Cotton as uh, Andy Nicholl. <laughs> Well, if anybody's got time, there's one. There's one to do. Um, maybe sell it on to um, to Claremont. Montpellier, I think. Montpellier, yeah. yeah. And uh, Brody, what's had its hands in your rook this week? I've only got two things written down. Um, one of them's the French strip, which, contrary to a lot of people, I thought was a thing of absolute beauty. I think that Adidas partnership with the French is just brilliant. And I, I, I kind of looked at their away top and I was like, "What is that?" And then I was like, "No, that's brilliant." I think the more garish a rugby strip is, the better. But at what point did we lose the kind of who wears the away strip, who wears the home strip yeah. business? Because I'm confused now. 
I want to see Ireland wearing their purple strip. Yes. Do we have yeah. a do we have a third strip anymore? No. I don't um, yeah, I suppose we do have that white the white one, don't we? We've got the white one. We used to have that. The the orange one was our third change, wasn't it? Oh, that orange one was a thing of beauty. That was incredible. Was that not that, just our away top? Yeah, I mean there aren't there aren't that many teams playing in that many different colours. I'd yeah, it's a pretty cynical marketing exercise really. Yeah, well, I think, if, if I understand correctly, especially with the French one, they have to play a certain number of times in the change kit by the by the sponsors' rules. Uh, okay. um, albeit, I think, obviously, they're sponsored by the government this time for the World Cup bids, but either the sponsors or the kit manufacturers say that you have to wear each strip a certain number of times, um, and that's why I think sometimes you end up seeing, uh, yes, you've seen the home teams wearing their away kits, as it were. Well, I say bravo. It's a lovely strip. Oh. Uh, Mark, the other thing I wrote down was Finn Russell's headband. Um, what is that, and why has it got something underneath it at the front? Is it his GPS tracker? Is it some kind of um, you know, remote control device? Um, what's happening? I have a theory that it's a Bluetooth speaker that's pumping uh, house music into Finn <laughs> Russell's head. And in Finn Russell's head, there's a series of numbskulls having a little dance party, which can only explain <laughs> some of what's happening sometimes with that guy. I wonder Maybe. if it was just kittens and marshmallows in there, because it's just... <laughs> yeah, yeah. What, whatever's happening in Finn's head, that's where I want to be. Exactly. <laughs> Looks like an absolutely amazing time. And, and Andy... You- Andy, what's had its hands in Europe this week? Well, on, on a, I guess a slightly more serious note, uh, the lesser spotted Scott Johnson. Um, I don't know if everybody saw the piece that uh, Mark Parmel wrote um, for one of the newspapers over the weekend, but basically it was an interview with Scott Johnson popped up again. Um, his contract appears to be up for renewal in the summer, and um, a quote from the interview, Johnson was saying that what a great job he'd done, and people were quote, blind if they couldn't see that, unquote. Um, so it was quite a bullish statement for it. And obviously the article in itself went on to question whether uh, the 250k a year that he supposedly receives um, is money well spent, which I think could perhaps be the topic of a whole separate podcast. But um, it just seems slightly cynical to me that um, as a guy that we've not really heard or seen for quite some time, his contract's up for renewal come the summer and his head is put above the parapet. Call me cynical, but um, it seems a little bit odd to me. I, I think that was deliberate because there, ha- there have been a lot of murmurings. I know the, the Thistle guys had a whole um, episode dedicated to where yeah. Scott Johnson, has anybody seen him? But I, I, I think that looked very much like a deliberate attempt to show the world what Scott Johnson has been doing. But the problem is that the way that Scott Johnson likes to operate in front of the media is the same way that Eddie Jones does, which is yeah. bullish and to try and make some really crappy jokes and, and I think come that's... across as a bit of an arrogant... Exactly, and I think that's the that's the thing that frustrated me most about it. You know, I mean, I guess for the last 12, 18 months, I've been... I've I'm not given him a, a, an easy ride, as it were, but again, you look at things, you know, he's been widely um, praised or, or, or there's been a lot of chat about he managed to get inside Hugh Jones's head and convinced him or kept in touch with him. Um, he was instrumental, supposedly, in Stuart Hogg re-signing as well. So there does seem to be positives that, that came along with his position. But like you say, when um, an individual in a position gets trotted out, whether it is to justify their position or to... Um, yeah, kind of show that they're still they're still alive or still around. It just seems very off. And then with his type of character, where he has always been a bullish and not the best at PR, 
Um, if anything, it, it's came off worse. And, and for me, again, first of all, the question is there, is the position required? And second of all, is he the right person to fill that job or should it be a case of thank you and um, let's move on? There's a third question there as well, is that is he in actual fact a parody account of his own life? <laughs> <laughs> well, I think if, um, I think we'd all agree that if he wore that glorious camouflage <laughs> outfit to work every that. day, then we could we could forgive a lot. Um, that's on our Facebook page if anybody wants to have a look. I think have you tweeted it as well, Rory? Yeah, I, I sent. I, I might I might just send it out as a good night message to everybody from now on every night. I did it last night. Uh, <laughs> I think everyone needs to see that before they go to bed. Uh, have you seen the film The Babadook? Because that kind of reminds me a little bit of that, to be honest with you. But there was there was actually a fantastic comment on Twitter um, just on that photograph, and I can't, apologies, I can't remember who it was said, um, I'm sorry, but I can't see anything in this photograph apart from some microphones and some sponsor labels in the background. Oh, that was, <laughs> that was, Graham, that was Graham Love, I think. Was it Graham Love, was it? Yeah. Credit for credit, Stuart. I, did, I didn't realise that. No, I think, I mean, I, I think the, the last time we heard about him was that travesty where he wa- walked in to the Sevens team and told them they'd all, they were all losing their jobs just ahead of a big game, and that was the last anybody had heard from him for a while. But, yeah. but I sort of take his point. There is some... There are signs of progress in Scottish rugby as a whole, and somebody's responsible for that. And as the guy who's paid to do it, I guess some of that lies with him. Just whether or not he could be a bit more humble about it, or well, and, stay and shut I, up. And I think that's the thing. You know, you you hold him in comparison with Mark Dodson, who I think came in with quite a lot of criticism when he first when he first joined, and and he also made some quite outlandish statements as well at one point. Um, and for me personally, looking at some of the results on and off the pitch with the SRU, I do feel that it's been ran in a pretty steady way from him. And I don't see, or perhaps I've missed it, but I don't see somebody like Dodson coming out and defending himself and the job that he's done in that way um, that, that Johnson's done. And, and whether it's a, a paranoia, I, I don't know. But um, yeah, like you say, I think there has to be a level of credit given there. But at the same time, it's, it's quite a sad uh, case where he perhaps feels compelled to do that. Maybe um, what the media team at the SRU need to do is to um, give him special jobs when journalists are around, um, you know, like they do with the naughty kids when um, the school inspectors come. <laughs> yeah, just keep him busy, you know, just uh, give him stuff to do. Yeah, go and, go and find some tartan paint or something like that. <laughs> Did you, uh, yeah. you get to hand the passes out? Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, the only thing I've got for hands in the rock this week is um, we've already mentioned Stephen Jones, but just I'm not going to go into it. But the Ali Williams response is just yes. it's a masterclass in in how to deal with online trolls. It just to I think you know somebody tweeted him and said, you know, how can a journalist question your credentials given you played test rugby? And Ali Williams just tweeting, let him do his thing. He has to sell papers. I just try to. Try and live with a smile on my face. It was just so Lebowski-esque. It, it was just a, a wonderful thing to behold. Just uh, one final final story as well. And I don't know if anybody listened to... Uh, there was a five live rugby preview show on, on, on Friday night. And uh, I can't remember who it was told a story uh, about how they had texted uh, Stuart Hogg before the match on Friday asking what he was doing to prepare. Or Saturday morning, perhaps, even, saying, what are you doing to prepare... And uh, Stuart Hogg's response was that he was currently hiding in a cupboard because Tommy Seymour was in the toilet and he wanted to jump out and give him a fright. 
that was Mike Blair again. Is that Mike Blair, was it? Which yeah. <laughs> I just thought, wow, if, if Vern Cotter knew what happened behind closed doors, then uh, you never know. Well, I think there is there are, there are glimpses that that all all is well in in the Scotland camp. I think John Barkley tweeted that video of him <laughs> screaming at Stuart Hogg and causing Stuart Hogg to drop his coffee. And yeah. they're all on tight Twitter media lockdown and briefed with their tweeting about BT Murrayfield. But when stuff does escape the camp, it it, it all sounds very happy yeah. and happy, happy, jovial. Yeah, they seem to get on pretty well, I think. Yeah. Well, Finn, Finn Russell and Ali Price are usually out partying in Glasgow. I think after a match, would they not? So. And if not, they're doing it in Finn Russell's head. So. Yeah, <laughs> there's always a, there's always a party in Finn Russell's head, which is perhaps the uh, title of this week's pod. Um, okay, guys, that's it from us for this week. You can follow us on Twitter at Scott Rugby Blog. Find us online at www.scottishrugbyblog.co.uk. You can find the podcast on SoundCloud and also on Acast and iTunes. Do leave us a review on iTunes. It really helps other people to find out about us. We might be back next week with a very quick preview of the Wales game as well as covering um, what happened with Edinburgh and Glasgow. So that's it from us. Bye. Au revoir. Goodbye. And goodbye. in your general direction. Your mother was a hamster and your father smelt of elderberries.